0: instructions are for people who do not know what they're doing. Those words have been spoken by probably the most famous person in all of the construction industry, Bob the Builder. Now when our kids grew up, Bob the Builder was everywhere and it seemed to me that he was in our house almost every day, whether they they were watching a TV show or a movie, whether we were reading books, they were playing with the toys, and I resonated with Bob. And let me tell you why. Whenever he had a project or he had to assemble something, someone would typically come alongside of him and say, Bob, do you have the instructions to put that together? And he would say, I don't need instructions. They're for people who don't know what they're doing. And I would say, yes, okay? It's not just me because I don't know about you, but I have this tendency to not read the instructions and just simply eyeball it. And sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't work. What I've found over the years is apparently I'm not the only person that does this. And just to support that, to bring you the evidence, I have a series of slides, of photos, just to demonstrate that some people too don't listen to instructions. So the first one that we have here is stop, or rather, sot up. And what I like about this is the the instructions, the words, it's right there on the sign on the right-hand side. Okay. Next one, please. Here we have a plain cake, but uh, the lady here who spoke the instructions walked into the baker's and said, I'd like a plain cake, please. And that's kind of what she got, okay? Yeah, I'll let you figure that one out on your own. All right, next one, please. Here we have people who have the instructions written on the item in front of them, and yet they still disregarded them. Next one, please. I like this. the uh, The lady who wanted this banner designing wanted congratulations, and underneath that, Tucker. Uh, so sometimes people, you give them the instructions, and they don't read them or pay attention to them. Next one, please. Sometimes people just willfully disregard what you're saying, and Mark with a C found out that that was the case in this situation. The next one, please. Sometimes those who have the task as giving us the instructions deliberately or accidentally mislead us like, do I go in? Do I not go in? Do I go in? And the very last one, please. Sometimes the instructions make no sense at all. All right, so here's my point. We frequently fail to follow the instructions that are given to us. We eyeball the situation. Over the last couple of weeks, as a church, we have been studying through the book of Acts, the the early church, the early Christians. And I've been thinking during this time, you know, we've clearly we're clearly told the things that the early church were doing, are we doing them? are we doing what we're supposed to or are we simply eyeballing what it means to be a follower of Jesus? So the title to our time together at this message this morning is as follows. Uh, Some Assembly Required. Instructions about task, location, and identity. Some Assembly required. Instructions about three things and that represents the three movements of this message. We'll talk about our task. We'll talk about location, the place from which that uh, starts, and then we'll we'll finish on the issue of identity. And we're going to be in the book of Acts, so if you have your Bibles, you can open them, you can switch them on. If you haven't, don't worry, it's going to be on the screen behind as I read through. And I'm going to be in Acts chapter 11. I'll start reading at verse 19, and we'll, we'll read a little bit. I'll pause, we'll talk about it, and uh, we'll go through from uh, uh, Acts 11:19 through to about 26. Okay, so here's the question that we're trying to answer. What are we supposed to do uh, as the church, as believers? What is it we're supposed to be doing? So the first observation that we have this morning relates to task. Our task is to share the gospel. Our task is to share the gospel. So let's begin reading Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Acts 11:19. Now. Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Okay, let's stop for a moment. A couple of weeks ago, John Mark, our lead pastor, told us about something that happens in Acts chapter 7. One of the leaders of the church, a man called Stephen, was arrested by the Jewish uh, leading council, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and they, they killed him. They murdered him. It's the very first martyrdom in the book of Acts, the very first leader in the church who was killed for his faith. And the result of that moment is that attacks against Christians everywhere began to increase. Persecution increased, and so Christians were left with no option but to scatter out of Jerusalem like refugees. They had to leave their homes, and they had to to move out. And what we read about here is that as they were being scattered, as they were having to leave Jerusalem, they began, initially at least, speaking to other Jews about Jesus. Jesus. But sometimes I read passages like this, and the names just sort of, you know, it's difficult to relate to. I mean, Phoenicia, Cyprus. So I brought some maps with me this morning, Okay, We're going to try to really narrow this down. So first of all, put the first map up for us there, please. So the world, Okay, Um, And you'll see there, I've put where you are, Okay, So the arrow's pointing to where we are, approximately. Uh, And then, so towards the middle of the map, there is a black box. That's the world of the Book of Acts. That's where the book of Acts takes place. So you've got parts of northern Africa there. You have Israel. And then you have what we refer to as uh, modern-day Turkey today. So we're going to zero in to that black square. So go to the next one, please. All right, now here is sort of inside that square. So you'll see Jerusalem and the red dot Jerusalem was where Jesus was crucified, buried, where he rose from the grave, and from where he ascended into heaven. But you'll see there are other names on there, so names that we're going to encounter. Bottom left is Cyrene, that's sort of northern Africa, and then uh, you'll see Phoenicia, sort of on the coastline, moving north from Jerusalem. Cyprus is the island out in the Mediterranean, and then Antioch is up at the top, and then just not too far away from there is Tarsus. So those are some of the names that we're going to encounter so we can sort of understand what we're talking about. And when Jesus, right before his ascension, he spoke to his followers for the last time. And he said, okay, you are going to tell people about me. At the start of the book of Acts, John Mark, our lead pastor, he read Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Jesus said to his followers. But not only there. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria. So the next map, please. So the message was supposed to spread out from Jerusalem and to go up into Judea and Samaria. So you'll see it's slowly expanding. So this essentially represents geographical Israel during the first century. But in Acts 1.8, Jesus said you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the world. So next map, please. So now we see the whole region uh, being saturated with the good news, the message of Jesus. Now, when we encounter Acts chapter 11, this is about 10 years after Jesus said those words. So go to the final map, please. And this is where Christians are traveling. So they've not quite 10 years on been doing what they're supposed to do. And they're only now going into further regions because they're being persecuted. So they're being forced out of their homes and they go on to Cyprus and they go as far north as Antioch. And as they do that, they're encountering other Jews and so they're telling other Jews about Jesus. All right, let's pick up the story again. Acts 11, now verse 20. But, okay, pause for all of you grammarians out there. The word but, it is a conjunction, but it's a contrasting conjunction. The word but says this to anyone reading it. This is what has been, but something else is about to follow. So we're reading this and we're saying Christians have been traveling, talking only to Jews, but... Something new is about to happen. So here we go. But there were some of them, there are some believers, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. Weird word, I know. Hellenists literally means Greek people or Greek-speaking people. You could put in there non-Jews. Okay, so people, as they were expanding, some of them began talking to non-Jews, also preaching the Lord Jesus. The word preaching is uh, thats actually where we get the, the word gospel from, and it simply means good news. So as followers of Jesus are traveling as refugees, first of all, they are only going to their own people. But then something changes, and they begin sharing this Good news, the hope of Jesus with everybody that they encounter. This is a hinge moment in the entire history of the church. This passage that we're studying this morning is one of the most important in the book of Acts. Because it's this hinge moment where the church, all of a sudden, it's as though they get it. And they understand that Jesus is saying, look, this message is not only for the Jews, it's for everybody. And although right up to this point, a few people have gone to non-Jews, it's only when God specifically told them to do something or God has brought a non-Jew to them. So in Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter has a Roman centurion reach out to him. But here, for the first time, the church is taking the initiative. Super important passage because people are beginning to see This is a really important task that we have been given. And if you're wondering, well, why are they doing that anyway? Well, if we were to jump back to the end of Matthew's gospel, uh, we hear some of the last words that Jesus gave to the church. So in Matthew chapter 28, if I was to read from verse 19, Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is a command of Jesus. If you want to know what are we supposed to be doing, number one, first and foremost, the task of the church is tell people about Jesus. Share the gospel interact with people. And what's happening here, cultural barriers are being broken down like never before. Because when we encounter a barrier, we, we tear it down. The gospel goes straight through it. And in fact, I see that over and again in the New Testament. If I was to read you from Paul in First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22... Paul said 1 Corinthians 9:22, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I'm doing everything, Paul said, everything that needs to happen, I'm going to do for the sake of the gospel. And here's what's happening as followers of Jesus are going about and they're telling people about the good news. Here's what's happening. So Acts chapter 11 verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, believers, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. This is what we call a progress report. There are 12 of them throughout the book of Acts, and they are updates on what's happening in the church. And right here, as believers begin to enter this uncharted territory, as they begin to tell other people about the hope of Jesus... People are being saved, lives are being changed, and the church is beginning to grow. Our task is to share the good news, the hope, the faith that we have. And in the last couple of weeks, our lead pastor has been teaching us in a variety of different ways just how important this is. It's a bit of an elephant in the room, really. I mean, if we're going to be honest, and if you're only going to be honest with one person, be honest with yourself. But the elephant in the room here is, this is super awkward, and we don't like doing it because we don't know how the other person's going to respond, because we feel a little bit embarrassed or perhaps ill-equipped or, well, gee, I didn't go to seminary. You don't have to go to seminary. I didn't go to Bible college. You don't have to go to Bible college either gospel means good news the task is to tell other people about our good news and our lead pastor john mark has given us three knots n-o-t three knots to help us identify when someone might be open to hearing this good news when you hear someone say um i'm not from around here or i'm not okay or i was not expecting that these are open doors for us to say, hey, I've been there. I understand that. I might be able to speak into that with a bit of wisdom. Could I invite you to my church? Could I pray for you? Now, right now, some of you are saying, okay, I hear you, but you don't know where I work, where I live, the people I interact with. That, that, That sounds great in principle, but it's not going to work because of where I am. Okay, let me tell you about Antioch. So Antioch, which is where all this is taking place, it's about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. Uh, So to put that into perspective for us, that's Wilmington from Asheville, approximately. That's a two-week walk from Jerusalem up to Antioch. Antioch was the third most important city in the entire Roman Empire. It was a trade route, it was bustling with commercial activity. It's a port. So it's a very transient town. Sounding familiar, Ashevillians? It's this very transient town where people are coming and going all of the time. And because it's a port, the sailors coming to port want to do what sailors do when they come to port. So you can read into that whatever you will. But I'm telling you, it's a city of sex, of hedonism, of pleasure. If the gospel's going to fail anywhere, it's here. But it does the opposite. It thrives. I was having a conversation with one of my fellow faculty members. I'm a college professor, and I was talking to him uh, about a week or so ago, and he said, what church do you go to? And I said, well, I go to a a church plant uh, called The Gathering in Asheville. And he said, wow, how old's your church? And I said, well, we're entering our eighth year. And he about fell off his chair. He said, there's a church plant entering its eighth year in Asheville. Churches die in Asheville. Everyone knows Asheville is the church planter's graveyard. And I went, yeah, I know. (laughs) It's pretty cool, isn't it? God's really doing something that goes beyond anything that people could do. Because in a place where it seems as though there's no hope, God is at work. And listen, if you need more convincing, we know through church history, Luke was from Antioch, Luke that wrote the Gospel of Luke, Luke that wrote the book of Acts. And most commentators believe this is where Luke comes to faith, at this moment. And he went on to write more of the New Testament than anyone else. By the way, you may be thinking, hang on, didn't Paul write most of the New Testament? Okay. Paul wrote more books. So, numerically, Paul wrote more books in the New Testament. But if you count words, word for word, Luke wrote more words of the New Testament. And I often wonder if it kind of went like this. Because Luke was a doctor. Somebody went to their doctor. A believer went to their doctor. And they had a conversation with Luke. And he said something like, you know, I'm not okay. And I was not expecting that. And the person said, well, I, I get that. I understand that. Would you, would you like to come with me this weekend? There's this, this things happening in town. I don't know if you've heard of it. Would, would you come? And Luke's saved. And he writes all of this for us. I don't know whether that's exactly how it happened, but someone led him to faith. We don't know who, but someone was willing to step into their task of sharing the good news. And that's one of the major instructions that we have today. Secondly, second instruction, this one relates to location, location. Our location is that we belong to a local church. Yeah, we, we belong to a church. So let me, let me keep reading a little bit. Acts chapter 11 from verse 22. The report of this, so everything that's happening in Antioch, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Well, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted, means encouraged, he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. So here's what's happening now. News of Antioch trickles back down some 300 miles to Jerusalem, where the church leaders are still based. Now, that's going to change soon. So in Acts chapter 15, and I think John Mark will probably talk about this next week, in Acts chapter 15, there's still a council of leadership in Jerusalem. But after that point, the leadership of the church shifts up to Antioch. And in fact, he doesn't stay in Antioch. It ends up in Rome. You get to Acts chapter 28, and the leaders are in Rome. But here's what's happening. So the leadership in Jerusalem, they're hearing of this, this stuff that's going on in Antioch. It's like, people are being saved in Antioch? No. We need to send someone up there to check this out. Barnabas. Barnabas, we want you to go. Oh, and by the way, they chose Barnabas because he was from Cyprus. So he probably knew the area. He was probably able to connect with the area. But we've encountered Barnabas several times in the book of Acts to this point. He's been very encouraging of believers. He's supported what they're doing financially. He was the first person to come alongside Saul, who will become Paul, after he was converted. So up Barnabas goes. And he connects with the church. It's like, crikey, what's happening here? And he encourages them. And he spends time with them. But the key word here is actually church. The report of this came to the ears of the church. We read over that because, after all, it's kind of what we're doing this morning, right? Church, church, yeah. So this is only the fourth time in the whole of the book of Acts that that word has appeared. But from this moment onwards, the rest of the story is peppered with that word church. It's everywhere. And what we're being told is that followers of Jesus are beginning to take on a new sort of makeup. There's, there's something about them that's not linked to the geography of Jerusalem anymore. There's something about them that's not linked to being Jewish. The church, this group of believers is shifting and changing. It's a fascinating word, church. Uh, it's, the, the Greek word is ekklesia, but here's what it means. The word church literally means, now lean in, gathering. So, by the way, if you go and tell someone this week, hey, I attend the gathering church, you're saying, I go to church, church. All right, so, but that's what the word literally means. It literally means gathering or an assembling of followers of Jesus. Because the word itself is a key to understanding what we are or who we are and the the sort of location that we're supposed to base ourselves in. So your salvation, your conversion moment, it's a moment between you and God. So you're not saved by your parents' faith, your friends' faith. You're not saved by living in the United States. You're not saved by driving by churches. This is an individual moment between you and God through faith in Christ. And no one else can do that for you. But the moment you're saved, you're belonging to a community, a gathering of believers. And it is virtually impossible to mature as a Christian without this, without an assembly, a gathering, a coming together of other believers. We need each other. I need you. You need me. We are in a communal journey of faith. And so belonging to a local church is absolutely vital. And look what happens. So Acts chapter 11, let me finish off verse 24 because I actually only read the first half of it. So Acts 11 and the second half of verse 24. And a great many people were added to the Lord. It's another progress report. There's two progress reports in this little verse, in this little section because this section is so important for us understanding who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. As they're gathering together, God is at work. Lives are being transformed. So what are we supposed to be doing? Well, our task is to share our faith, the gospel, the message. The place that we base ourselves is a local church because we need one another. But then the last thing that we see in this passage relates to identity identity. Our identity is that we are to reflect Jesus. We reflect Jesus to everybody around us. So let's go back to the passage. Acts chapter 11, verse 25. So, this is kind of like a a result now. So, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. That's Saul who's going to become Paul. And when he'd found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church. There's that word again. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So you've got all this activity going on. And Barnabas is looking around and saying, we need help. I need someone else. We need more leadership. I've got just the guy for this. And so he travels about 150 miles from Antioch to Tarsus. Tarsus was Saul's hometown. And he says, Saul, you've got to come to Antioch with me. There's something happening. It's a God movement. I need you. You've got gifts that I need. And so Saul and Barnabas go back and they spend a year building up the church, shaping, being shaped, being a part of this. And it's there that those who are looking on at what's going on begin to name this group of people for the first time. I don't know if you caught it, but it's in Antioch that the disciples were called. That's passive. They didn't give themselves this name initially. People looked on and actually it was originally a slur. It was an insult. Oh, you're a, you're a Christian? The word literally means Christ's ones. Yeah, you're a one of the Christ? Oh my goodness me. It was an insult. It became a badge of honour because it goes to the heart of identity. Yeah, yeah, I I am a, a one of Christ. I do follow this way. This is who I am. And you may be thinking at this point, I don't know if I can really hold myself out as being that person because you just don't know what I've done or what has happened to me or who I have been. For some of you here your identity is an event that has happened to you or you've been part of it's in your past and you look at yourself through that lens even today I am a I mean you fill in you fill in the word there but some event activity and this is how you see yourself If you have faith in Christ You need to hear me say that's not how God sees you. God does not see you through the lens of an event or an activity or a time in your life in the past. You are a child of God. You are loved. He has poured out grace on you. You are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. You are gifted. You are loved in ways that we couldn't imagine. God sees you this morning. He knows you. And He is preparing you and has prepared your future. In Christ, we are Christian. And so, one of our instructions is to reflect that in everything that we do in words, in deeds everything, every part of us, so that those looking on take a step back and they say, oh my goodness, you're a Christian. Like, you, you're a Jesus person, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the doors open for me to share the gospel, our task, and to invite others into the location, the local church, so that we can continue to reflect Jesus. Jesus. Now, it's quite possible there's someone here this morning and you're thinking, I'm not there yet. I think I need to be, but I'm not there yet. I, I haven't believed. So we're just going to pause for a moment and we're almost done. And I'm going to pray for you and with you. Uh, you see, uh, if I can, if I use the stage for a moment, let's say that you're standing here metaphorically and this is the circle of all of your sin and all of your failures. And Staying in this circle means you're separated from God Staying in this circle means that there's no eternal hope for you So this is what the crucifixion, the cross, this is what Jesus did We're moved out of that circle This deserving of condemnation And Christ steps into it That's what the crucifixion was He took our sin on himself So that whosoever believes wouldn't be condemned They would have everlasting life So let's pray for a moment. I'm going to pray for you specifically, if this is you. Our Father, I I thank you for the privilege of being able to talk openly about Jesus. But right now, if there is somebody here who needs to reach out to you for the first time, would you help them as they say, God, forgive me. I am so sorry for things that have taken place, for who I am, for what's happened. I want to believe in you And I believe that Jesus has paved the way for me to do that. Help me today to start all over again. Amen.